All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for that welcome. Josh, I think, thank you for that welcome. I don't know. And uh, mom, if you're, you know, you are watching online, I just want to let you know that I love you more than he does. So, um, no, I am grateful for Josh and, and for Bob. And, uh, you know, do you guys have an amazing team? Ryan does an ama- amazing job. And what I love about the team is none of them are too tall. They're all, you know, I don't, Ryan, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, not too tall, which is a good thing. Um, also, happy Mother's Day to the grandmothers and the mothers and the great-grandmothers out there. Uh, so glad that you're with us. And, uh, you know, I want to say uh, ha- happy Mother's Day to my uh, mother-in-law, Linda. I don't know if she's here right now, but she, uh, she calls me her favorite son-in-law. And it, I happen to be her only son-in-law. So, uh, but, you know, be, being a mother is, is really a high calling. It is, it's a huge, huge responsibility. It, it, it's an amazing uh, calling in life. And, and you know, uh, mothers have an amazing calling. But even if you're here and you're not a mother today, uh, every single one of us has a calling. Uh, every single one of us, no matter who you are, um, we, we have a unique contribution to make to God's mission in the world. All of us have something to give. All of us have a mission. All of us have an area of service. And one of the most important questions you can ask yourself as a follower of Jesus is, what is my calling? What is my contribution uh, that, I, that I'm to make to God's mission in the world? And today I want to talk about a question that probably I think is more help, helpful than any other question that you can ask to get at the, uh, the idea of what is my calling. And that is what, the question, what is my pain? What is my unique pain? Often your unique pain connects you to your unique calling. So what is your pain today? I think that one thing we all have in common in this room is that we all have pain. Um, You know, we all are so different. You know, some are old, some are young, some are, uh, you know, in a certain social class and others of us are not. Some of us have different gifts. But the one thing that we all have in common is that we all experience pain. The great theologian, the dread pirate Roberts, and the princess bride put it this way, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. (laughs) To be human is to be vulnerable to pain and suffering. And so I don't know you guys very well, obviously, but, you know, I, I would wager that there's a lot of pain in the room this morning. This church, like every church, is filled with pain. And so some of us uh, bring physical pain in the room today. You know, maybe you're here, you've got a chronic illness, or you're struggling with back pain or or neck pain or some other uh, issue of pain. We had had a a, a family friend who, whenever you asked him how he was doing, uh, Jim Tomlinson, he'd say, it all hurts. (laughs) My back hurts, my legs hurts, my, my neck hurts. It all hurts. And maybe for you today, as you sit in the seat, it hurts. You know, for, for some people, a pain is just a constant reality of life, physical pain. Uh, there's also emotional and mental pain in the room here today. Uh, some of us are living under a cloud of depression. Every day is difficult to get up in the morning. Even small things are a challenge for you. And you're just kind of living with chronic uh, depression. Uh, others of us struggle with chronic anxiety. You know, there's a healthy fear 
where danger is coming and the, the fight or flight kicks in and so you get out of that danger. But then there's, there's an anxiety that some of us feel even when there is no pain or even when there is no danger coming. It's like it's all the time. You're anxious all the time. There's the ache of loneliness. Uh, you're living in isolation. Maybe you've had a death of a spouse or you're living far from home or for whatever reason, friendships are rare. There's also circumstantial pain. Uh, you know, maybe you're here and you've lost a job or you've lost a loved one or you've lost your health, you've lost a good relationship with your children and you're struggling maybe with fractured relationships in the church. There's all sorts of circumstantial pain here today. And so I want you to reflect on the question, uh, what pain did I bring in the room here this morning? Some of you take all the boxes, physical, emotional, and circumstantial, like you're just a mess today. Uh, some of us are living with, uh, you know, stories of past pain. You know, maybe you grew up with abuse or some other issue, and, and, and pain is just part of your story. And there's a lot of reasons why we experience pain. Uh, you know, we live in a broken world. Uh, Christians uh, believe that the world we live in is fractured. And so things fall apart. The center doesn't hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. And, and, and the, the world is not the way... It's supposed to be, and so we all experience the pain of that. As some of us experience pain because of uh, bad decisions we've made. You think, man, if I could only go back and change that one stupid decision, I could have avoided so much pain. Some of us experience pain because of decisions other people have made. You know, somebody else's poor decision is affecting your life, and you're experiencing pain because of that. Whatever it is, Again, I want us to reflect on the question that, that perhaps our pain might be our greatest asset when it comes to serving God and others in this world. Uh, maybe your pain is the thing that connects you to your calling. You know, maybe the greatest thing that you have to contribute to the world has to do with your suffering. It's kind of weird to think that way because... You know, we often think it's my abilities, it's my successes, it's when my life is up and to the right. You know, that you know, is my great personality. That's what I have to offer the world. And, you know, we go to conferences and we read books of people that have success stories, not pain stories. But I want you to consider that maybe, again, the greatest contribution you could make to this world has to do with your pain. And I want us to learn that this morning. I think it does. And I want us to learn that through the story of, a, of an Old Testament a mother named Naomi. And so I want to jump into her story. Afterwards, we'll step out and we'll reflect on what we learned from, from her pain. But let's just, um, let's just start out here in verse 1. Uh, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem of Ju in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, uh, the, the story opens up and, and we read that there's a family uh, living in the town of Bethlehem. This is an important little detail. It's going to be important later on, but so, so remember that. 
And uh, this family is living during the time of the judges. So if you know your Bible, you know that the time of the judges was a horrible time in Israel. Uh, Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was chaos. There was no good ruler in the land. And in the midst of this mayhem, there was this family uh, made up of four people. So there was Naomi. She's the mom. There's Elimelech. He's the dad. They had two sons, Malone and Chilean. And I always have trouble remembering names and stories. And so the way I remember Malone is Sylvester Malone. And the way I remember Chilean is Chilean like Bob Dillian. Right? So maybe that, my mind works that way. Maybe it's helpful for you. Maybe not. But there's Naomi and her husband, and they're living in Bethlehem. There's a famine in the land. And so they, they decide to leave their ancestral homeland and seek to seek a better life. And this was a desperate move. And we know it's a desperate move because there's no other reason why a good Jew would ever go to Moab unless they were desperate. You see, Jews believed that Moab was an unclean territory. Uh, The the, the Moabites were descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And so for a Jewish people, uh, Moabs were um, unclean and vile people. The only reason why they made this move at all was because things were so bad in Bethlehem. And so they haven't been in Moab for very long before tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Uh, We don't know what caused his untimely death. All we know is that Naomi is left here alone in a foreign land. Now, it's bad enough to lose a spouse, but, but imagine losing a spouse in a foreign territory when you're all alone. This is before the days of email where you could write home and, or, or, or make a phone call and get support from your family or get on a plane and, and be with relatives. Uh, Naomi is here suffering this tragedy all alone in a foreign land. But if that were not bad enough, things get worse. Uh, as the story goes on, uh, we learn that uh, Naomi's two sons... Uh, Malone and Chilean find two wives, Ruth and Orpah. And in the ancient Hebrew, uh, you, you know that just from reading the Hebrew, the Orpah's last name is Winfrey. And so um, Josh told me, you, you guys like cheesy jokes. And so I thought I would just throw one in there. So they marry Ruth and Orpah. And then disaster strikes again. Uh, Naomi uh, loses her two sons. And this is, you know, extreme searing pain that she's going to, through. A person who has lost their home is called an orphan. A woman who has lost her husband is called a widow. A child who has lost their parents is called an orphan. There is no word for a woman who has lost a child. I don't know why. You know, perhaps it seems to violate the natural order of things and you know, I've, you know maybe, you, maybe you've been in that situation. I've been in hospital rooms uh, where I've been around families that have uh, lost children. It is just extreme, searing, unimaginable pain. And this is what uh, Naomi is going through. We've got to see that. And maybe you know what, maybe you know what it's like. Maybe, maybe you haven't lost a child, but maybe you know what it's like to be suffering, alone, a situation where you don't know the way out, just experiencing an enormous pain like this. And so, 
It's no surprise that Naomi wants to forget this season in her life. And so let's, uh, let's look what happens in verse 11. <clears throat> but Naomi said, turn, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet some uh, sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, <clears throat> excuse me, if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against, against me. Uh, Naomi decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She, in other words, she's declaring this season of her life a total loss. Moab was an absolute disaster. Let's pretend like it never happened. Let's just kind of block it out of our mind. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to leave here. But what I want you to see is that not only is Naomi calling this season of her life a total loss, she believes that Moab has rendered her life useless to God and others. Did, she, did you see what she said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law? She says, turn back. I can't bear children anymore. I am no good to you anymore. In other words, I have nothing to offer you anymore. Moab has rendered my life useless. And she even says later on, I went out to Moab, Moab full, and I'm coming back to Bethlehem, what? Empty. I have nothing to offer anybody anymore. There's a really sad play on her name where she says, I went away to Moab, Naomi, and I'm coming back Mara, which means bitter. Naomi thinks that she, because of the Moab, because of the pain, she has nothing to offer. And maybe you, you feel like that this morning as well. Maybe you thought, you know, my, my life was going in a good direction and I had gifts and abilities and a calling and a job. But then the divorce happened. But then the depression happened. But then the chronic illness happened. And now, honestly, I don't have much to offer anybody anymore. But what I want you to see finally here before we end re reading this little piece of the story is that what you need to see is what Naomi can't see. And that is God is going to use her pain to make her a blessing to the world. Two millennia later, we are gathered here together to study Naomi's life, to be encouraged to learn from her life. Naomi's Moab is her greatest contribution to the world. Now, the story that begins in pain and suffering ends in redemption. And what Naomi doesn't see is how her pain is being used by God to be a blessing. And I think it's true for all of us. Again, I want you to consider, you know, we all have a Moab, right? Seasons of our life that we wish we could forget. You know, these painful things that we deal with, and, and we all have a Moab. I want you to consider that maybe the greatest contribution you can make to the world, your calling might be connected to your Moab. 
And I want us to see three things before we end today, three, three ways that Moab connected Naomi to her calling, three ways that uh, Naomi, Naomi's pain uh, enabled her to make an enormous contribution to the world, and I think it's true for all of us and for all of our pain. So first, I want you to see that Naomi's pain uh, connected her to her calling because it connected her to people. Now notice, uh, Naomi goes off to Moab, and she comes back with a person. It was Ruth. And remember, she, she tells everybody in Bethlehem, I went away full and I came back empty. I came back with nothing. If I was Ruth, I'd say, really? What am I, chopped liver? She came back with Ruth. She got Ruth in Moab. And Ruth is going to be an amazing daughter-in-law. Just like I'm an amazing son-in-law, right? You're my favorite son-in-law, right? That's what my mother-in-law says. Uh, later on at the end of the book, uh, the ladies tell Ruth, uh, or Naomi, Ruth is more to you than seven sons. She got Ruth in her pain. If she had never gone to Moab and never had this horrible experience, she would never have met Ruth. But I also want you to see that Ruth met Naomi in Moab. In that dark place, Ruth got connected to Naomi. And through that connection, Ruth met God. Remember there's that one scene where uh, Naomi tells Ruth to go away. Go away, I can't give you anything. And Naomi, or Ruth says back to her, she says, listen, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your God will be my God. That's a conversion right there, ladies and gentlemen. Naomi probably wished she had never gone to Moab, but if she had never gone to Moab, she would have never met Ruth, and Ruth would have never met God. Often our pain gives us a unique opportunity to share God's love with people that we would never have been able to otherwise. And sometimes in our pain, we get so absorbed in the pain that we fail to look around and ask the question, who is my pain connecting me to? In the New Testament, uh, there's a story of Paul the Apostle, and Paul the Apostle was an activist, a church planner, kind of a serial entrepreneur, and uh, going all around the, the Mediterranean world, starting churches, and then he was arrested and thrown in prison. And everybody thought, oh no, his calling is over, his contribution is over. He can't do all that in a prison cell. And Paul writes to a letter to the church in Philippi, and he says, don't worry about the prison. I know I'm in pain, but it's turning out for the furtherance of the gospel. Because there's a whole community of people in that prison, the Praetorian Guards, that Paul gets to share the gospel with. They're a captive audience. Three times a day, some hard-bitten pagan Praetorian Guard is chained to the most effective evangelist the world has ever known. And Paul says, my pain is actually connecting me to folks that I never would have been connected to otherwise. Johnny Erickson Tata knew this. Some of you know who she is. Uh, she uh, is a quadriplegic Christian uh, writer and, uh, and uh, speaker. And her pain has really changed the lives of so many people. And one of them was a, a woman I know named Faith Posey. And she was driving one day out to visit us from Arkansas. And she stopped at a gas station 
and she goes in to use the restroom and she goes to get a bag of chips and there she sees Johnny Erickson Tata in her wheelchair. And she had learned so much from her and so she, you know, you have those moments where you meet a celebrity and you're like, oh, what do I say? She said, Johnny, or Johnny, I love you. (laughs) You've changed my life, she said. And Johnny looks back at her and she says, you know, Faith, you are God's gift to me today. Because she said, I I had such a painful morning. And you're reminding me that God is changing lives through my pain. Your, Your pain connects you to people. Secondly, I want you to see that Naomi's pain connected her to her calling because uh, it connected her to compassion. Often, a pain changes us in a way that makes us more helpful to others because it makes us more compassionate to others. And in the story of Ruth, there's an important Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And uh, this word is notoriously difficult to translate, and it's translated variously uh, covenant love or undying faithfulness or kindness or even compassion. And in the story of Ruth, uh, Naomi shows Ruth has said. And then Ruth shows Naomi has said. And then Boaz looks at the has said between the two women, and he marvels, and he shows Ruth has said. And then Ruth in the end shows Boaz has said. And so has said is all over the book of Ruth. And has said is one of, the, one of those virtues that really comes alive in the context of pain. In the Bible, uh, one of the virtues that marks God more than any others is this virtue of has said. And Jesus, when he walked around this earth, he was able to show compassion to people, and maybe that's because Jesus, the book of Isaiah tells us, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and maybe that enabled him to be such a source of compassion to other people. Because before you have pain, it's sometimes, it's really hard to empathize with those who are in it. Um, I I remember when I was younger, it used to irritate me so much when a a young child on an airplane or in a restaurant started screaming. And I'd always get mad. What's wrong with these parents? How come they can't control their children? And then I got married and had a a child. And it wasn't that bad. You know, Samuel was a pretty good baby. And and I thought, oh, I can control my, my child. It's not such a big deal. And then I had another one. And then I had another one. And then I had a fourth one. And the fourth one was the biggest, the loudest, and the craziest baby ever. (laughs) And uh, I think Josh told you this joke, but he told me you love cheesy jokes. Um, Jim Gaffigan has this joke where he he has four kids, and somebody asked him, you're like, what is it like to go from three to four children? And he said, imagine you're drowning, and someone hands you a baby. And now when I'm on an airplane or in a restaurant, I have way more compassion. I was just on an airplane going back from Dallas uh, a couple weeks ago, and there was a baby screaming her little head off, and instead of getting mad, I thought, her her ears are popping. That's what it is. Her ears are popping. Pain can create compassion in a person that they could get no other way. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., 
you know, he experienced a lot of pain and suffering. And after having a lot of it, he said this. He said, as my sufferings mounted, I soon... Can you guys see over here? I'm sorry. He says, as my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that, that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation. I could either react with bitterness or I could seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. And, you know, we don't choose our suffering. It barges in unannounced, right? But we can choose to transform the pain into a creative source of compassion. And so often that compassion is what leads you into your contribution and your calling. There's a woman in my church. I pastor a church similar to this one, um, multi-generational, and there's this um, elderly woman that comes to my office every single uh, month. She comes in, standing, meeting, and she just sits and she chats with me. Her name is Sue Witherow. And uh, one day I asked her, I said, Sue, what is your calling? What is your contribution that, you, that you're making to the world? And she said, oh, that's easy. I call people on their birthday. Yeah, and it was, she called me on my birthday and Anita on her birthday, one of our kids on their birthday when we, since we had been there. And it was true, she calls everybody in the church on their birthday. And I was like, Sue, that's amazing. Where did you ever get that idea? And she said, well, um, when I was younger, people often forgot my birthday. And she said, I know what it's like to walk into a room and have nobody notice you. I know what it's like to feel forgotten. And I don't want anybody else to feel that way. She was turning, she was transforming her pain into a creative force of compassion. And I think that's another way that our pain can connect us to our calling. It connects us to compassion for other people, a compassion that we never would have had otherwise. And then finally, I want us to see that pain uh, connects us to our calling because it connects us to redemption. And the story of Ruth uh, is a beautiful book because it's a story of redemption, redemption out of suffering. Uh, do you remember the little detail about Bethlehem at the beginning? At the end of the book, Naomi ends up back in Bethlehem. And she's cradling, cradling a brand new little grandbaby named Obad. And there's a man in my church named Steve Obad, and so I always picture Naomi cradling Steve Obad. It's a weird uh, picture to have in your mind. <laughs> but at the end of the book, she's cradling little Obad in Bethlehem. And God has redeemed her pain. And redemption is all over the book of Ruth. Uh, the story turns on uh, the fact that Boaz, this wealthy landowner, is a kins kinsman redeemer. And what that means is that he's got the authority to buy back uh, Naomi's ancestral land. But he's got to marry Ruth. And in a really cool detail in this story, Ruth proposes to Boaz. Women's lib, right? Back in the ancient world. It's amazing. <laughs> she proposes to Boaz like she's in his bed late. late at, you got to read the book. But... But it, they, they bear a child, little baby Steve Obed. And, and, oh, and here's the cool thing. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse becomes the father of David. And of course, 
Jesus Christ the Messiah is in David's line. And so God is, is bringing Naomi into his grand story of redemption of the world. And it all began in Moab. And so God redeems her story. And, you know, God has a way of redeeming our pain, you know. He's got a, he's got a way of, uh, you know, bringing beauty out of ashes, restoring the years that the locust has eaten, and so how might God want to redeem your pain? Uh, Tim Keller uh, says that God is the only alchemist. You know, the, in the Middle Ages, the alchemists were those magicians trying to turn lead into gold. Nobody ever did it. God is the only alchemist who can take the lead of our pain and turn it into gold. God can redeem our pain. And we've got to be careful here because I'm not saying that there's always a silver lining in every cloud I'm not saying that you'll always see every bad thing that happens to you will be turned into good. I'm not saying that bad things are good. And I'm not saying that you'll always see the redemption that God's going to bring. You know, Naomi never sees what God is going to do with her pain. She never sees it. But I think I can say that God knows how to redeem pain. And God knows how to take the broken pieces of our lives and use them for redemption. I mean, this is the story of Jesus Christ. The greatest suffering in the world is how God redeems the world. Now, Although none of us, although maybe not all of us will see every bit of our pain completely redeemed, we know that one day our pain will be completely redeemed. The story of the Bible is that God redeems the entire broken world. Harold Kushner was a rabbi whose son Aaron died when he was 14. And I read this quote this week and I thought it was so insightful. He said, he said, I'm a more sensitive person, a more effective pastor, a more sympathetic counselor because of Aaron's life and death than I would have been without it. I would, I would give up all of those gains in a second if I could have my son back. If I could choose, I would forego all the spiritual growth and depth which has come my way because of our experiences and be what I was 15 years ago, an average rabbi, an indifferent counselor, helping some people and unable to help others and the father of a bright, happy boy. But I cannot choose. And it's almost like he's saying, yeah, God redeems pain. And my greatest contribution to the world has to do with my pain. Honestly, though, I'd want my son back. And Naomi would say, I want Malone and Chilean back. And the good news of the gospel is that one day, God will redeem every pain. The heavenly city is built out of the shattered pieces of the fall, and God promises to redeem every heartache, every tear that is shed, every illness, every tragedy, and the end is transformed. 
God knows how to redeem pain. And so I want us to ask this question finally as we close. How might God want to use your pain? We all have a Moab, uh, things in life that we'd like to forget. But how might you choose to turn your pain into a creative force? How might your pain might be the key to your greatest contribution in the world? Um, this morning we're going to do communion, and so Josh is going to do that for us, but I just want to take us back to Jesus. Again, the greatest suffering of the world is, is when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, and the greatest redemption of the world is because of that cross. The God of the Bible is the God of Jesus Christ, and he knows how to redeem your pain. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that although the world looks to success stories and Strength, Lord, and, and power, you are the God who redeems our weakness, our frailty, and our pain. God, I pray if there's anybody in the room this morning who, who feels like giving up or who feels like uh, their pain has rendered their life less useful, I pray, God, that you would show them otherwise. You are the God of Jesus. You are the God who redeems pain, and so I pray that you'd show each of us um, how you might be able to do that in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.